I've entitled this message, Who, Where, How, Why, and When. Now that comes directly from verse 16. Who? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Who is the us? that is exhorted to come boldly to the throne of grace. If that question is not answered, we really don't understand any of the rest of it. That's very important. Who is the us? Am I included in that group? And then, where are they called to come? Let us come boldly under the throne of grace. That is where I am called upon to come right now. The throne of grace. There is a throne of grace right now. How are these people told to come? Boldly. Oh, I pray that you and I will do that tonight. Why do they come boldly? to this throne of grace to obtain mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. When are they called upon to come? In time of need, which is all the time. Who, where, how, why and when. Now that has been called the journalistic approach to investigating something. Who, how, why, where, when. And I'm going to consider these one at a time. Let us, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly. Who is the us? Now, I can forget the rest of this passage of Scripture if I don't understand who the us is because it makes the rest of it meaningless if I don't understand who the us is. Who is the us that's called upon to come boldly? That's strong language. Who, is the, who are these people that are called upon to come boldly under the throne of grace? Now, I'm going to answer this question strictly in the context of this passage of Scripture. I'm not going to have to look anywhere else. We're going to stay right here, and we're going to find out who the us is. Look in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Now, the first thing that I would notice about the us is this. They are those people who have this great High priest. And as I said, we read hundreds of times about a high priest or a chief priest, but here's the one time we read of the great high priest, which can only, it only fits one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the high priest of the Old Testament 
went into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. You have read about that in Leviticus chapter 16. And when he went in to the Holy of Holies, he had a breastplate with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he had a shoulder pad. I can't remember what the word of it is. It might be an ephod or a shoulder, but, but on his shoulders, he had the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. He didn't have the names of the Amalekites. He didn't have the names of the Moabites. He didn't have the uh, names of the Philistines. He didn't have the names of the Canaanites or any of those otherites. The only names he had on his breastplate, he loved these people. They were in his heart. Their names were on his shoulder. He was able to carry them, his strength. The only people he represented were the children of Israel. Now, in the Lord's great high priestly prayer for his people, I'd like you to look at this, John chapter 17. You may be familiar with the scripture, but I, I want us to look at it. John chapter 17. I love John chapter 17. This is the Lord's great high priestly prayer for his people. But look what verse 9 says. Now, this is the Lord speaking. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine. Now the Lord saw fit to make this statement. Somebody says, why couldn't he just say, I pray for them? Because he means for us to know he's praying for a particular people. And when he prays for you, what else, need, what else is needed if he prays for you? If he represents you before the Father? If he, as your great high priest, brings his own precious blood into the Father's presence for you? Now, the Lord pointed this out in this great high priestly prayer. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. The us is the elect. Now that's simple enough, isn't it? The us are those given to him before the foundation of the world. He said, this is the will of him that sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. The us are those that Christ died for. The us are those that have Christ as their great high priest. What a privilege it is. Seeing then we have right now this great high priest. And he describes this great high priest that every believer has. Seeing then that we have, verse 14, a great high priest that's passed into the heavens. Now here is the sphere of his operation. He's not in some man-made temple or he's not in some man-made tabernacle. He's certainly not in some dark confessional booth somewhere. He's passed into the heavens. Right now, passed into the heavens. And look how he refers to our great high priest. 
Seeing then that we have a great high priest that's passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Now this high priest of ours, his name is Jesus. You know what that means? Savior. Savior. He's the Savior. You know what that means? He saves. He doesn't try to save. He saves. He's the Savior. The next name the writer gives him is Jesus, the Son of God. The Son of God is able to save. Here's his ability to save. Seeing we have every believer, all of God's elect, seeing we have this great high priest that's passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, incapable of failure. If he's your high priest, you must be saved. He's equal with the Father. He's the Son of God. He cannot fail. I love it when he said to Peter, he said, Peter, you're going to deny you know me. You're going to miserably fail in everything you do, but I pray for you that your faith fail not. You're going to fail, and he did. Oh, how miserably he failed. But you know something he never quit doing? He never quit believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, he may have wondered whether he was saved afterwards, He might have had much doubt about his own salvation. But he never doubted this. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you know the reason he kept believing that? Christ said, I've prayed for you. You see, the Father never says no to the Son. Whatever he requests, the Father gives. When he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Do you know every single person he prayed for was forgiven? He's the great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, that's passed into the heavens. Now, seeing then that we have this great high priest that's passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession for, we're going to get back to that in a minute, but for, This is our great high priest. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Now, our high priest is the sympathetic high priest. He is the one who is touched, moved, To sympathy, not anger, not disgust, not I'm tired of this. I'm not going to deal with it anymore. I've reached my limit. No, he's touched, always touched, and moved to sympathy with the feeling of our infirmities. Now, our infirmities... Have you ever gone through something very troubling, terrible? And when you see somebody else going through that, 
You're touched, aren't you? I can remember uh, there was a time when people who had problems with depression, I thought, believe God. Then I experienced depression. And I no longer had that haughty attitude toward those people. I was touched, not looking down on them, not judgmental, not saying, where's your faith? Touched by the feeling. Now, infirmities. What, what, is, what is this thing of infirmity? It's weakness. Weakness on account of sin. The shame felt. The guilt felt. Feeling isolated by your sin. Feeling forsaken because of your sin. The feeling of your infirmities. That feeling of weakness before sin. Weakness before trial. Weak. That's what infirmities is. Weakness because of sin. Now, there are parents who have loved their children, but they just keep going on, keep going on, keep going on, and they've had to withdraw themselves. They've had to. They still love their children, but they've had to withdraw themselves because of the destructive behavior. But you know, the Lord Jesus never withdraws himself. He is always touched. Always moved to sympathy by the feelings of our infirmities. Now, somebody says, how can that be? You know, I, I used to wonder this when it said, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now, if he's without sin, how can he really be touched by the Feeling of my weakness before sin, my sinfulness, my, my shame, my guilt. How could he be touched by that if he never sinned? Because he was made sin. And he has experienced everything you and I have experienced by way of the feelings of our infirmities much more acutely. Now, of course, I don't grasp all of this. He never sinned, but he experienced all the shame and guilt of sin. He experienced what it is to feel totally isolated, forsaken, alone. He experienced everything with regard to sin much more acutely than you or I ever have. And when I am overcome with the feeling of my own weakness... He's touched. He's moved to sympathy. He understands that better than you do. You see, there's no priest like this priest. And unlike other priests, he's sinless. Don't you love it the way he says, yet without sin? Look down in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. These are the high priests taken from among men. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. For every priest taken from among men is ordained for men 
in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way. That means astray. There are two descriptions of the people he has compassion towards. Those who are ignorant and those who are straying. That's what out of the way means. Stray. Sheep. You know, I think of what David said. Lord, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I don't forget thy word. Now, why is it that he can have compassion? For that he himself also is compassed, bound with infirmity himself. This human high priest, he couldn't really represent anybody. Uh, he was a sinner himself. That's why he had to have a sacrifice first for his own sins before he could offer a sacrifice for the sins of others. He himself was compassed with infirmity. Bound is the meaning. Bound with sin. He felt that. He experienced that. He didn't look at these people and say, who are these, these idiots, these sinful people? Why do I have to do No, he was touched. He had compassion, but not like our great high priest who's moved to sympathy. Now, those other priests brought the blood of bulls and goats which could never take away sin. This high priest brings his own precious blood. Now, the blood of the lamb, the blood of the goats, they could never take away sin. They were given just to represent what he brought, would bring to the Father. But he brings to the Father in the behalf of of every one of his people, his own precious blood that takes away sin. He doesn't have to say, forgive them again. I know they did it again, but forgive them. No, all he does is present his blood. And nothing else needs to be said. The Father is satisfied. The Father is well pleased with the blood of his Son. He's the only priest. Great high priest that's done that. You know, all other priests, I think this is interesting, you know, in the tabernacle, they had to go in every year over and over and over again. And there wasn't a chair in the tabernacle. You know why there wasn't a chair in the tabernacle? The priest's work was never done. But the Lord Jesus Christ sat down. Why? Because his work was finished. Hebrews 1.3 says he bought when he had by himself. And I love the way he didn't say when he, buy, when he had purged our sins. It says when he by himself purged our sins. That means you and I didn't have anything to do with this. This is what he did. He did this by himself. When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down. Why? The work of purging was finished. Sin was Put away. It was gone. And oh, how precious it is to have him as our great high priest. So, who is called upon to come boldly under the throne of grace? Those who have a great high priest. Secondly, who is called 
And I'm spending most of my message trying to figure out who the us is. And I've got a few more minutes, so I want to say something about this. Who is called uh, to come boldly to the throne of grace? Um, verse 14 again, seeing then that we have a great high priest that's passed into heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Let us hold fast our profession. Like I've already said, in the original, the definite article is used. Let us hold fast the profession. The, and that same word is also translated confession. It's the same Greek word, confession. Now what does confession mean? Confession means to speak the same thing. We confess the same thing. We have the same gospel. We believe the same thing. It's agreement. This is what we're in agreement on and what it is essentially, this profess, profession, this confession. We're in agreement with God. We are in agreement with what God says about himself and we love what he says about himself and everything he says about himself, we say amen to. We're in agreement with all of his glorious attributes. We're in agreement with what he says about us. We're when he says we're nothing but sin in and of ourselves, we agree. We we're at complete agreement with what God says about us. And we're at complete agreement with what God says about his son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We're in agreement, aren't we? We're in agreement. Everything God says with regard to his son, we're at agreement on. That's, that is a prof our confession. And you know, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. It says faith in the uh, King James, but it's the word that's generally translated hope. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Now, if I'm a believer and you're a believer, we have the precise same hope. There's no difference. We're in complete agreement with regard to our hope. My hope of standing before God and being accepted is because I'm in the Son. He kept the law for me. He put away my sins. He was raised from the dead for my justification. He is all my hope. That's the profession. That's the hope. The hope that Jesus paid it all. All the debt I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Now who is allowed to come boldly into his presence? Everybody that has this profession. The profession. And one more uh, thought with regard to those who um, are called upon to come boldly under the throne of grace. Verse 15, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Our sinfulness, 
our want of strength or capacity to restrain corrupt desires, our want of capacity to go through trials the way we should, the feeling of shame, the feeling of guilt. Listen to this scripture. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says, For when we were yet without strength. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, I spend most of this message on who, because the rest is meaningless if I don't know the who is. Who is called upon to come boldly to the throne of grace? Those who have this great high priest. Number two, uh, those who have the profession, the profession of our hope. And number three, those who are weak. Those who are weak. Where do you fit in with regard to those three descriptions? Well, where are they told to go? Let us come boldly to the throne of Grace. <laughs> now remember, a throne. Somebody's sitting on a throne, aren't they? It's not just a, a symbolic piece of furniture. Somebody's sitting on that throne. And there's someone sitting on that throne right now, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 6. One, he said, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up, sitting on a throne. And if you ever see the Lord Jesus Christ, and I, if I ever see the Lord Jesus Christ, that's how we'll see him, sitting on a throne. And there's a reason he's sitting. His work's finished. His work's finished. He accomplished salvation when he said it is finished. Listen to me. If you're one of these people that are called upon to come boldly, your sin's all gone. It's put away. It is no more. Why is he sitting? Because he's not pacing back and forth, worrying. He's sitting in regal splendor, undisturbed by any kind of opposition, sitting on this throne. Now, it's a throne of justice. Scripture says judgment and justice are the habitation of thy throne, but it's also a throne of grace. This is where we're called to come boldly to, this throne of grace. Salvation is really by grace. It's not by works. That's the way you come boldly. Salvation is by grace. And I love the word grace, the throne of grace. The adjectives that we use with regard to grace are inherent in the word. If it's grace, it's free grace. If it's grace, it's sovereign grace. If it's grace, it's saving grace. If it's grace, it's eternal grace. Just those meanings are all inherent in that beautiful, simple word, grace. It's a throne of grace. Now, how are we called to come to this throne? Well, the writer says boldly. With cheerful confidence, expecting to be heard, 
expecting to be received. Boldness. Having therefore boldness, brethren, to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Let us, this is a command. This isn't good advice. This is a command for me and you. It's a command for us to come to the throne of grace and it's a command for us to come boldly because we don't have any reason to be anything but bold because it's a throne of grace because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, salvation were by our works in any way, to any degree. We couldn't have any boldness. But our boldness is in his saving grace. John put it this way in 1 John 4, 17. Herein may we have boldness on the day of judgment. For as he is, so are we in this world. Does he have boldness to come into his father's presence? You bet. We do too. Is he altogether lovely to his father? Is he perfectly righteous? Everything you can say of him as he is, so are we in this world. And that's why we are called upon, commanded by him. Aren't you glad this is a command? He commands you. Your right is with the command. He commands you. Come boldly. Under the throne of grace. Now, why do we come with boldness to this throne of grace? Well, he tells us in these simple terms to obtain mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. Now, why do we come to this throne? To obtain mercy, to find grace. To help. Now I love the simplicity of, of mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. Now if God gave you what you deserve separated from Christ what would he give you? I don't have to answer that question. Grace is God giving you what you do not deserve. There's what I need. I need for God to not give me what I do deserve and I need him to give me what I do not deserve. Grace. Mercy. Grace to help. I like that, grace to help. You know, when Christ stood as my surety, he helped me. When the Father gave me to Christ to take full responsibility for my salvation, that was grace to help me. When Christ walked on this earth and kept the law for me, oh, how he helped me. That's grace to help, isn't it? When Christ paid for my sins and was forsaken by God, he was helping me. My name was on his heart. He knew exactly what he, he was helping me. When he was raised from the dead, grace to help. As he's seated at the right hand of the Father, representing me right now. What grace to help. Every believer can say boldly, the Lord is my helper. <laughs> Lord's my helper. I'll not fear what man can do to me. If the Lord's my helper, 
I'm, I'm fine. And last, when can the believer come to this throne of grace with boldness to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time to help? In time of need. Beloved, isn't that all the time? All the time. I need thee, precious Jesus, for I am full of sin. My soul is dark and guilty. My heart is dead within. I need the precious fountain where I can always flee. The blood of Christ most precious. The sinner's perfect plea. You see, we're always poor and needy, and that's a good place to be, isn't it? Poor and needy. And we can always come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Aren't you thankful for that word God has written for us? Let's pray. Lord, we come in the name of our great high priest that's passed into the heavens who presents to you his own precious blood who represents all of his people. And Lord, because we do have this profession Christ really is. Your son really is our only hope. And Lord, we find ourselves to be filled with infirmity, needing your grace and your mercy. Lord, we come with boldness, believing our acceptance is holy in him. And we have a right to come boldly to you into your very presence because you told us to. Lord, move each one of us to come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Lord, as we look at the days ahead for the holiday season, we pray that you would bless us, bless our homes, bless our time of fellowship. Bless us for Christ's sake. Accept our thanksgiving. We're so thankful for our great high priest. In his name we pray. Amen.